What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis. We back at it again, man. This is episode 158, season 4 of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's Sunday, Funday, August 13th, 2023. So, last episode, we discussed my race results. Uh, I ran an eight-mile race last week. So, I gave you all the details on everything leading up to the race, how the race went, what my time was, etc., um, and just some of my plans moving forward. And then in the world of finance, I gave you guys an economic update. So if you want to get all of the details on that, go back into the feed and check out episode 158. Now, today we are going to talk about my weightlifting routine. And then in the world of finance, going to give an economic update. And then we are back on consolidated balance sheets. But before we get into it, make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast because we got more episodes on the way. Now, my training, this is going to be quick, but my training, it's not super detailed. It's not ridiculously scientific. I do the same few workouts almost every single session. So here's how it goes. My current training split right now is Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. So that's four days. Now on Thursday, typically I'll just do cardio. And it may be between three to four miles of just running or it'll be 30 to 40 minutes on the elliptical. And then I'm done for the day. That's it. Friday. Friday, I do... Fridays basically is like more intense as far as like any type of cardio. So Friday, depending on if I'm getting ready for a race or if I'm just in between races, it's it's going to vary. But essentially what I recently was doing because I was getting ready for this eight mile race that I just had completed, like I said earlier, was um, I would do maybe like just a longer run. So it would be like at least five miles. Sometimes it was six, sometimes it was seven. Um, one of the runs was like nine miles, I think. Getting ready for the running event that I had just completed. But now, I'm trying to heal up a little bit and just give my body some time, even though I'm not really good at doing that. So now, I'll probably opt for about 30 to 40 minutes on the elliptical. And typically, I'll try to burn, you know... I, a few hundred calories if I can try to make it pretty intense. Friday is also upper body weight training for me. So upper body weight lifting. Um, I don't do like bro splits or anything like that. Um, I have a really weird routine. I'm literally just upper lower. Um, and then I'll do a hybrid day pretty much. And then the first day, obviously, is like cardio. But anyway, let me get into this upper body workout. So 
I try to start with shoulders almost every time. Pretty much, I'll just do some dumbbell lat raises, some dumbbell shoulder presses. I might do some Arnold presses. It just depends on how my body is feeling. Sometimes I'm a little more sore than other days. So I try to do movements that are a little more safer, you know, just for some of the issues that I may be having throughout a training camp or just throughout training in general. So yeah, some lateral raises, some dumbbell shoulder presses, maybe some Arnold presses. Um, and I mean like super lightweight too. Um, between like five to 12 pounds. I won't go more than that, especially when it comes to um, lateral raises because yeah, you know, I suffer from impingements and it's, it's not the most comfortable feeling. Now, from there, I'll try to start working on back movements. So, I'll actually do bent over dumbbell rows. And I'll also do bent over barbell rows as well. And then, I'll do... I like doing seated V-grip rows. And I also like doing uh, dumbbell shrugs. And then, uh, there's also, like some lat pull down machines that I'm a fan of um some of like the hoist equipment so like the hoist uh hammer strength lat pull downs I love those um and then yeah I pretty much move on from there so again be bent over dumbbell rows bent over barbell rows seated v grip rows um, I also do, um, uh, chest supported T-bar rows. Oh, and that's what it is. Uh, the hoist rocket plate loaded lap pull down machine. I love that one. And dumbbell shrugs I'll do as well. That's, that's all for back. So that's a little more extensive. Um, and obviously there's more back movements that you can do, but I try to just keep it with that. And I don't take too much, I don't take a lot of breaks in between sets either because I just feel like it's not that necessary um, depending on how my body feels. Moving to the next body part, train chest. So once again, because of certain impingements that I have and just injuries that I've suffered in the past, I it's it's a little harder for me to work my chest the way that I would normally would. And I'm still actually experimenting with movements that are a little more, uh, you know, just, I guess, user friendly for lack of a better term. But basically movements, chest movements that feel more comfortable for me. So right now is the hoist RS chest press. Um, super simple. It has like an assisted bar there. I never use that, but, um, I keep it super duper light. I just try to get a nice squeeze, do a lot of high volume on there. And then, um, I'm not sure of the name of it, but I'm guessing it's like a hoist product. It's like a hoist machine. This is at a 24 hour fitness gym. It is a seated, uh, 
it's like a seated peck fly machine or rear rear delt machine so it's 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 both you can kind of change the levers on the bottom if you know what i'm talking about you 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 pull up the little latch and then you can adjust the you can adjust like the setting to whatever numbers it's like one to one to eight or something like that but yeah i just started doing that the other day i'm probably going to incorporate that from here on out um it wasn't too there wasn't too much discomfort when i was doing it but um yeah again it's like a seated uh hoist chest fly machine and then you can actually sit you can turn around on it and then you can turn it into a rear delt uh like just reverse peg decks basically so yeah that's all i'm doing for chess honestly i was doing push-ups like a couple months ago but again just very uncomfortable dealing with injuries so i stopped doing push-ups so yeah now it's just the hoist sorry about that the, the hoist rs chest press now for core again super simple here just some crunches some leg raises that's it i don't have an extensive uh core routine because essentially if you're trying to have visible abs you need to be in a calorie deficit um you could do a th you could do thousands of crunches thousands of sit-ups leg raises you know uh different types of like medicine ball twists whatever if you're not in a calorie deficit nobody's gonna be able to see, see your abs if it's too much body fat covering that um so yeah and then moving on to legs so i do enjoy leg training um for sure but again because of injuries i don't go super heavy honestly i've never gone super duper heavy with leg training except maybe like Maybe like one year I went kind of, I started going heavy on, um, what is it? On the Smith machine squats. And that was when I started to actually get like tendonitis and knee pain. So from that, I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm not doing squats no more. But uh, yeah, let's get into the legs movements. So I'll do hip adductors, hip abductors, um, seated calf raises, uh, lying leg curl machine. I love that. Uh, leg press. And then I'll do some dumbbell lunges. Um, just do them like right, right in place where I'm at. And then I like a uh, dumbbell goblet squats and then some donkey kicks. That's it. Like no, 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 no squats. No, like no, no, no back squats, like no barbell squats. Um, what else? No deadlifts. I've tried deadlifting in the past, like in 2018 or 19. I started getting into some semi-decent um, deadlifts, like maybe like 225 or something like that was the heaviest I'd gone up to. And I was just like, nope, I'm not into it. It just doesn't feel comfortable to me. It just always felt like I was going to tear something or injure my back or whatever. And maybe I just had shitty form. I don't know. But I'm just not a huge fan of going super duper heavy on on any given movement, if I especially if I'm not as comfortable doing it. And I know it takes time, it takes practice. But uh, yeah, some stuff I just I leave it alone um, because I already have a lot of wear and tear on my body anyway from all the weight training. I've been weight training since 12 years old. Um, I'm 34. I'll be 35 this year. It's just like I don't got nothing to prove to nobody. Like. 
you know, I got good genetics. My aesthetics are there as long as my body, my body fat is low. I don't need to be the strongest guy in the room. For me, I just want to be the most fit, like have really good cardiovascular endurance. I want to be strong enough, um, especially that I can like hold my own in a physical education or something. But also too, like if I need to run somewhere a really far distance, I want to be able to do that. Um, and then, yeah, just working on other things, flexibility, agility, all of that good stuff. But uh, getting back to the routine, uh, Sundays. So... Damn, I think I completely skipped. Did I skip Saturday? Yeah, Saturdays. So let me go back a bit because I feel like I'm rushing here. So Friday is we do the cardio and then we do upper body. So I already told you guys all the upper body work. Now, Saturday is the leg day for me. So, but again, I still, I start every session with cardio either a run or I get on the elliptical. Sometimes I'll do the Stairmaster, but mostly either a run or the elliptical. If it's colder outside, yes, it gets cold in California. Um, I'll opt for the elliptical most of the time until it gets hot, which obviously we're about to be heading into the fall. I've been running my ass off all summer um, and just enjoying the weather. But yeah, so I after leg day, which is Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, I just, again, I do cardio, either the elliptical or a run, some type of run. Um, and then I just do hybrid work. So if I feel like I didn't get as much, you know, of a, of a good workout in a, on a certain body part or as much of a good pump, I'll, I'll work on that just a little bit. I'll just add more volume to something. Let's say maybe I felt like my arms are not as sore or I didn't get like, you know, just that 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 nice pump that you get when you get in a good arm session like I'll do a little bit of arm work you know some buys some tries whatever um but then also too I usually will that's where I'll do my core work which is the crunches and the leg raises now as far as reps and sets so again it's super basic here there's not a lot of thought process as you can already hear to this i've been doing this a long time and i like to have the simplest routine as possible i don't like to think too much when i'm training um i'm literally going off of muscle memory of just being able to walk into the gym and doing the same repetitive movements it sounds weird it sounds counterintuitive it sounds crazy but that's that has worked for me Aside from, you know, some of the injuries that I get, um, which, again, that could be from the repetitive overuse. But, um, yeah, so four to five sets on each exercise. And then the rep range is really wide. So anywhere between eight to 20 reps. It really depends on how my body feels. And then I'm resting three days a week. Now, as far as some of the details beyond you know, each, each set that I'm doing the RPE or the rate of perceived exertion that varies every single week. But typically I will try to just progressive overload each week for, you know, however many weeks, I don't even count how many weeks that I'm like gradually increasing. 
I, again, I'm going off of my body. How does my body feel? I will gradually increase the weight um, each week for each session. And then at some point, obviously, the law of diminishing returns, your body starts to break down. Maybe it's been four weeks. Maybe it's been six weeks. The body's going to need a break. I can already feel it. So then I will start to deload and just do lighter, lighter weights. Um, and sometimes I only do maybe three sets of a movement just because I don't want to overexert myself or or cause further damage. But yeah, train four days on, three days off. Um, the rep range is very wide. The, 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 the sets is always between four and five, depending on how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling really good, honestly, sometimes I'll do damn near six or seven sets on an exercise. And a part of that is just because the first like two or three it's going to take me to warm up, but also too, I just, I love exercising. I love lifting weights. I love running, whatever the case may be. Like, so sometimes I'll just extend a workout, um, you know, beyond what it needs to be, which is probably a reason why I'll suffer from a lot of little injuries, just nagging injuries that sometimes don't go away unless I rest enough. But, uh, yeah, man, resting three days a week, training four days a week. And I started the four days, a week training when I was getting ready for this eight mile race that I just finished. Um, so I'm thinking that I'm going to keep it that way just to prevent any type of like major weight gain in the off season. Cause essentially now I'm basically in the off season, did two races this year and I spent a ridiculous amount of time training for, for the second one. Um, but just, I train all year that there's no like real break unless I go on like an, a legit actual vacation. And even sometimes then on vacation, it's like you're doing hikes and walking around everywhere and all this kind of, so, but yeah. Um, so this year t we, 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 we going to enjoy the off season, been eating, been eating some good stuff. Um, as far as like food, I'll try to keep it pretty clean though. Cause like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to gain too much weight, but, um, still going to stay with, with my same routine that I just described to you. Um, most, most likely not going to change. Um, the only thing I will change is, I guess if I, if I do change something is just the cardio, it'll either be more intense or less intense. Um, and it'll be either more running or more of the elliptical right now. I'm going to be doing more, uh, elliptical work because I don't have any running events. I don't have any races coming up. So racing season for me is pretty much done. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'll see how next year goes. Hopefully I can get in three, three races, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, man, that's, that's the training, you know, like I said, it's not super duper complicated or super, you know, detailed or scientific or whatever. Like it works for me. It just works for me. And once again, my split is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday is cardio. Friday is cardio upper body. Saturday is cardio lower body or just legs. Sunday is cardio and then just like a hybrid day. So I might mix it up and just touch up on body parts that I feel like didn't get as much work um, to just try to balance out, you know, 
every part of my body. And then we just repeat the process and we rest three days in a row. We rest three days in a row, we train three days in a row. So yeah, that's it. Ain't nothing magical to it, baby. But uh, yeah, if you enjoyed the fitness portion of today's episode, please make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast because we got more episodes on the way. Now, getting into the finance portion of today's episode. It's it's going to be it's going to be kind of quick, which I mean, I feel like I've been saying that every episode for the last like seven, eight episodes. But it's it's going it's going to be it's going to be what it is, man, because I want to get this done. But anyway, uh, the S&P 500 at the close on Friday was at four thousand four hundred and sixty four point zero five points or seven point three six percent off of the two thousand and twenty two highs. Now, according to Reddit's reports all this week, Monday. 79.1% of the 422 S&P 500 companies that have reported as of last Friday beat analyst estimates according to Refinitiv data. So to me right here, the key phrase is analyst estimates. I wouldn't put too much weight on estimates. Um, Now, I'm sure they do their research, but a lot of the time, these analysts are just looking at quarterly reports. And... Yeah, quarterly reports are important, but they're not as important as the annual reports, the yearly outcome or the yearly finances, um, because that ultimately is more than likely going to get priced into the stock at some point. Um, So, yes, to me, what's more important is not just quarterly earnings, but yearly earnings and consistency within those yearly earnings. So looking at 10K reports. Um, but of course you can look at the 10 Qs or the quarterly reports just to kind of gauge where things are going. Um, because again, some people, they do adjust their portfolios based on quarterly earnings. I don't like to do that. It's just not my cup of tea, but anyway, what's next? Uh, us consumers saying now is a bad time to buy a house that has hit the highest levels since Fannie Mae which is a mortgage finance company, started the survey in 2010. So basically, housing sentiment is negative. Um, Is this, to me, like, is this not obvious already? Like, you know, if you've been following finance at all, the housing market is always, real estate market is always a huge, like, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Sometimes it's just like a fucking storm cloud. Um, and then other times, I guess it would seem like a ray of sunshine for for anybody who's in real estate, I guess. Even though that's a really bad and awful analogy or, or metaphor. But yeah, housing is always a big deal, of course, because a lot of us, we spend a large majority of our income on housing. But the fact that people are saying it's a bad time to buy a house, like, no shit. Duh. Like, look at interest rates. But anyway, enough of my commentary. So, getting back to my notes. Tuesday, credit rating agency Moody's cut ratings of 10 banks by one notch while reviewing potential downgrades for six giant banks. So, this is coming after... Fitch, which is an, another credit rating agency, downgraded the U.S. Um, and and um, a couple of banks last week. 
So, I don't know, man. Um, just off of that, it does this whole soft landing scenario. I don't see. I just and maybe I'm extremely wrong here. Maybe I'm way off. Um, but I just don't see how we get a soft landing, like with these downgrades. These downgrades are gonna. I mean, they kind of did freak people out a little bit, but it didn't do too much damage um, because, yeah, we still got things like CPI and uh, NPC and just overall what the Fed is doing. That's also plays into market sentiment and just how people feel or whatever. But yeah, all of all of the information and data that has been coming out, like especially the last two weeks, to me, it's like a, a recipe for disaster. It really, it really is. But again, this is my first time as an adult being being as aware as as I can be of what is actually happening within the world of finance. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna see what happens, man. Um uh, but yeah, we'll see because I feel like every time an analyst or government official mentions a soft landing, more negative data is published. But again, maybe I'm wrong here. So what's next on our list? U.S. trade deficit narrowed sharply in June as businesses cut back on purchases of foreign made capital goods. This resulting in imports falling to the lowest level in more than one and a half years. The default contracted 4.1% to $65.5 billion. In May, it was at $68.3 billion. As of Wednesday, diversity in the boardroom has been slow. Out of 388 new directors added by top U.S. corporations, 36% self-identified as African-American, Hispanic, or other. This is down from 46% last year. Now, 46% of all new directors were women, which was the same number as last year. African-Americans accounted for 15% of new directors this year. Asians made up 11% of new directors, and Hispanics came in at 9%. So... That is a bit interesting because anytime, if you ever have ordered a annual report or a 10K report um, based on any any companies that you own inside of your stock portfolio, when you get that, that, that 10K report, you're also going to get a proxy statement. And something that you're always going to see inside of the proxy statement is equity or uh, what is it diversity equity and inclusion so they basically try to talk about how like each company is trying to pretty much pump up the shareholders and say hey look we are making our company more diverse by hiring you know multiple people of different ethnicities we're we're bringing in different people. We're giving we're giving the company different looks, like you know, and not in a literal well in a literal sense and in a figurative sense. Um, and again, it's it's you know, the the minorities and and it's the women where you see 
those, uh, you know, the data in those two categories, it's, it's always lopsided. Um, and I don't know, that could be for so many different reasons, but honestly, I don't even really want to get into that. It just was something that was interesting to, to cover in this week's economic update. So yeah, it's, it is what it is, man. Um, we, we obviously need more diversity when it comes to upper management or just CEOs, um, company presidents, VPs, etc. Uh, we need that. That's all that, that's all that piece says to me, but we'll, we'll see. We'll get there over time. Um, what else happened on Wednesday? U.S. mortgage rates hit the highest level since November. Um, this is at a 22-year high. The average 30-year mortgage rate rose to 7.09% the week of August 4th. According to the Mortgage Applications Index, which is a measure of total mortgage application volume, mortgage applications decreased by 3.1%. So this is at a six-month low. And... Anybody's guess would be because interest rates are ridiculously high. Housing is extremely expensive. You know, supply and demand, like, etc. It's just, it's all over the place. Anyway, as of Thursday, CPI rose 0.2% in July. Now, CPI advanced 3.2% in the 12 months through July. June was a 3% rise. The peak of inflation was 9.1% in June of 2022. However, the Federal Reserve wants and needs inflation to be at 2%. So they are still battling and still struggling to get inflation at 2%. And we're still well above that. This is a part of the reason why they've been raising interest rates and the cost of certain things have been going up, but not just because of interest rates. Now, in terms of interest rates, the cost of borrowing money has gone up. And, you know, uh, like just applications or people getting approved for borrowing money, the it's become a lot more sh- or uh, just more strict. Um, just as far as like, um, lending or borrowing requirements, because again, central banks raising interest rates. So that increases the cost of capital in some respects. Now, moving along here, the next federal reserve meeting or FOMC meeting is September 19th and 20th which is actually the 19th. That's my mother's birthday. Um, So if she ever listens to this, happy birthday, mom. I love you. Now, the current terminal rate or the Fed funds rate is being held between 5.25% and 5.5%. In other news, initial claims for state unemployment benefits increased 21,000 which is seasonally adjusted to 248,000 ending August 5th. 
People receiving benefits after an initial week of aid fell 8,000 to 1.684 million ending July 29th. This all is still considered low by historical standards. Friday, U.S. PPI or the producer price index increased 0.3% in July. Now, the definition of PPI, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics.gov, PPI measures the average change over time in selling prices received by domestic producers of goods and services. So essentially, PPI measures price changes from the perspective of the seller. Now, 12 months through July, PPI increased 0.8% after gaining 0.2% in June. Next up, U.S. equity funds saw heavy outflows in the seven days up to August 9th. This was due to U.S. inflation data as well as credit rating downgrades in the banking sector. Refinitive Lipper data shows that $14.96 billion was withdrawn from equity funds. This is the largest outflow within a week since June 21st. So, I mean, I don't really know what to say about that, honestly. I I guess, what, people are hedging, people are minimizing positions based on fear, um, or are, or is it just that investors are rebalancing? I'm not really sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money coming out in one week, almost $15 billion in one week, but we'll see what happens. And even with all of that, that I just said, we still have to manage money. We still have to make a living. We still have to budget. We still have to save, and we still have to invest in order to get ahead. Now, let's get into 10K reports because we haven't talked about them in a while. And then I'm going to get up out of here. So if you've been following the podcast, we've been talking about 10K reports or annual reports. And more specifically, we've been covering the line items in the consolidated balance sheet. So today we're going to briefly go over liabilities. Now, according to Investopedia.com, a liability is something a person or company owes. Usually, it's a sum of money that they owe. Liabilities are settled over time through the transfer of economic benefits, including money, goods, or services. Now, liabilities include things like loans, accounts payable, mortgages, deferred revenues, bonds, warranties, and accrued expenses. Liability can also mean a legal or regulatory risk or obligation. Now, on a consolidated balance sheet, what you're going to see, one thing you're going to see is current liabilities. Now, current liabilities are debts that are payable within one year. And some examples of current liabilities include payroll expenses, money owed to vendors, monthly utilities, interest payable, dividends payable, unearned income, and liabilities of discontinued operations. 
So it could be a division or an entity currently being held for sale or recently sold. Or discontinued operations could also be a product line that was shut down. So that that's that's it for for the 10k portion of this episode but essentially like when you well at least for me let me speak on my own behalf that's a little bit safer um but basically like what i like to look for in the simplest way possible as far as like explaining this to you guys is i like to see a 10k report or a business that has less liabilities and more assets. If the assets outweigh the liabilities, then that's a plus to me. So, excuse me. I basically just look at it this way. Can the company use its assets to pay off all of its debt if it absolutely had to, like, just in that current year. And I'm talking about not just current liabilities, but also long-term liabilities. Because there there are also long-term liabilities, which we'll talk about in a future episode. But uh, yeah, I try to look at that. And then I also look at something called a debt-to-income ratio. So again, you look at the debt, you divide it by the income or the equity of the business. Ideally, you would want that number to be below one. But in some instances, the debt to equity ratio is actually will actually be above one. If it's above one, that's not good because that means that for every... Uh, for every dollar that the company makes, they'll have more than a dollar of debt. Uh, so, yeah. And then there's also other ratios as well. There's like the current ratio. There's the quick ratio. Um, but uh, those, I guess, we could talk about maybe a different time. If I haven't already talked about them in the past, I don't remember. But... Yeah, just as far as assessing a company's liabilities, um, another thing to look at, too, especially when it comes to like just bonds or different types of like notes, companies borrow money in order to fund daily operations, you know, quarterly operations, yearly operations. Um, some of the some of those bonds are dated many years into the future. Um, some of them are actually due within a given accounting period or within that given year. So it will be, in this case, a current liability. Um, and you also want to look at where are interest rates because that's also going to affect how much a business has to pay or how much it's costing them to 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 be utilizing those bonds or that borrowed money but essentially yeah it just goes back to to what we talked about you know right in the beginning of the definition liability it's something that a company owes 
Um, and when a company is borrowing money, they have to pay it back eventually and they have to pay it back with interest. So if you're looking at environments like where we are right now, um, you know, August 13th, 2023, okay, we got the Fed funds rate well above 5%, which pushes up the price of borrowing money. And it makes it tougher to lend money because, again, the cost of capital is more expensive. But some of these companies, they have liabilities in regards to things like bonds or they have loans. Um, and they also have, you know, accrued expenses, accounts payables. They have mortgages. They also um, have different types of, of leases. Um, and yeah, man. Especially when it comes to like the the treasury notes and some of the treasury bills and also the bonds that they borrow. They again they gotta pay interest on that. So in an environment like right now where interest rates are extremely high, some of these companies are losing a lot of money because they purchased bonds, you know at a time when interest rates were much lower, but these bonds might be dated for, I don't know, three, five, 10 years down the line, some of them even further down. So some companies are having to sell off some of these bonds or borrowed money at a loss, which again, that can create downward pressure on revenue. It could, it could possibly squeeze margins. Obviously, it could affect the share price, which could, you know, just create like a downward trickling effect, if you will, as far as just like uh, investor sentiment or people just selling out of positions or whatever. But um, or even if you look back at like some of the bank failures uh, from earlier this year, that was a situation where some of these banks had long dated uh, long dated bonds, whether they were government bonds or mortgage or they could be mortgage backed securities, whatever they were. Well, interest rates rose at a point. But when they when they first purchased those bonds, it maybe was at a time when interest rates were almost at zero or near zero. Then they raise rates 500 basis points, 500 plus basis points. The price of those bonds were worth hardly anything. So they had to sell those bonds at a loss. And then from there, it's like, you know, hey, we got to we need more money because we just had to we had to sell all these bonds that we didn't make any money off of because we didn't know that interest rates were going to be this high. So, again, I'm saying all of this to say, like, it's 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 very important to try to figure out and decipher what liabilities a company owns when you're looking at these 10K reports. Um, because it's going to tell you whether a company truly is solvent or not, whether they have enough money to survive or get through a high interest rate environment or a high inflationary environment or even a low inflationary environment. And also just looking at uh, what types of assets they're putting on the books. Are they buying a bunch of, you know, long dated bonds to fund their daily operations? 
during high inflationary times or during uh during times when interest rates are elevated or are they very well capitalized and have minimal debt you know with very short-term maturities on some of the bonds uh, or notes that they are borrowing but yeah those are those are all things that are important to look at over time uh, when trying to assess the economic characteristics of a business inside of your stock portfolio so yeah um eventually the plan now will be to talk about um just long-term liabilities because there are current liabilities but there are also long-term liabilities but yeah for now basically current liabilities is anything any any debts that the company has to pay within one year and it's going to be within within that current accounting year so again you want to look at okay well based on all these assets based on retained earnings um obviously you know whatever the product line is how many units they're selling etc they can utilize some of that cash, some of the short-term cash to pay off some of those short-term debt obligations. You want to make sure that a company is able to do that. Um, so there are different ratios and numbers that you can look at in order to assess that. Um, but uh, yeah, man, that's pretty much it. So hopefully you enjoyed the finance portion of today's episode. And if you did, Make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast because we got more episodes on the way. Now, I got to get up out of here. I'm going to catch y'all next Sunday. So you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.